0: Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Today we're talking about the upcoming Speak Up conference taking place in Fort Wayne, Indiana, November 8th. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. To find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, go to our website, kfuo.org, and look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section there. Joining me now, the Reverend Dr. Rick Mars. He's Associate Professor of Practical Theology and the Director of the Master of Divinity Program and Resident uh, Alternate Route Programs at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Dr. Mars, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you very much for having me, Andy. A pleasure always to to talk with you about uh, the uh, the church and mental health, and uh, and sharing with uh, our listeners about this today. The, some insights into your background and your professional work. I know that y- you've studied and taught quite a bit in this area concerning mental health. Give us just a, an insight into uh, to your work and and your professional background.
1: Yeah, I've got a little bit of a different background than other seminary professors. Actually, I was a... uh Uh, layman who was teaching psychology and working as a professional counselor for the first 15 years or so of my of my professional life I uh, worked at St. John's College in Winfield as a psychology professor and and also a counselor in the counseling center and then when it closed I was uh, doing the same sort of thing teaching psychology and working as a counselor at Concordia Chicago while I worked on my PhD in counseling and psychology uh, from Loyola University. And so uh, just have a, a deep background in that sort of area, trying to look at it from a Christian perspective. And then at age 40, I uh, looked at my dear wife and said, honey, would you stay married to me if I left academia and went to seminary and became a parish pastor? And she said she would. So we loaded up the kids and came to the seminary. Um, I was then a in the parish for six years in Kansas and thought I was going to be there for many, many years to come. Uh, I was enjoying the, the teaching and the preaching and the pastoral care and counseling things I was doing, but the seminary called and said, we're having a hard time finding Lutheran Church Missouri Synod pastors who have a background in counseling and psychology like you do, Would you come and interview, which eventually led to a, a call to teach here. So it's been a, a wonderful last 11 years uh, teaching teaching, uh, pastoral
0: counseling to the next generation of, of pastors to be in our denomination. What would you say is, is important for us to understand about counseling and mental health when it comes to, uh, what is the essence of your work? You know, what are you doing in, in, in helping shape future pastors and other church workers when it comes to understanding counseling and mental health?
1: Yeah, it's it's really a matter of helping again future pastors, but also uh, congregational leaders and and uh, Christian lay people in general to understand that um, just like we have physical problems with our bodies, we have heart disease, we have cancer, we have all kinds of other uh, ailments that because of our. Uh, sinful condition because of the the groaning world that we live in, according to to Paul in Romans 8, we also have mental health issues, and some people struggle with things like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or uh, uh, depression or anxiety disorders or a whole host of other things that our culture labels in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And while uh, that's a helpful way of looking at it, it's not the only way of looking at it. And that DSM is not a uh, a uh, pastoral care guide at all, spiritual care guide. It's a secular secular document. It at least is something that pastors and church people should know a little bit, just like they should know a little bit about heart disease. And like I, I tell students, if a, if one of your parishioners comes to your office and says, Pastor, would you sit down and pray with me? I have this problem. And the pastor would say, well, sure. Yeah. What's your problem? And the uh and the parishioner says, well, I've got this pain in the upper left quadrant of my chest and it's kind of shooting down my arm, (laughs) well, then I would say, we're going to say a very quick prayer, but then we're going to get in my car and I'm going to drive you to the hospital because you may be having a heart attack and I want you to to get treatment by the medical doctors who know much more about heart issues than what I as a pastor does. Well, in the same way, somebody with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or one of the whole host of other things, uh, pastors are not experts in treating them for that, but they are still their pastor who provides the spiritual care and guidance and the questions that come up about, you know, why is this happening to me? Does God still love me because I'm struggling with... Schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and giving them the assurance of the gospel that God is there for us all, whether we have heart disease, cancer, or mental health issues. Um, congregations and pastors need to know at least a little bit about the diagnosis of those things and how to do good Christian care for those um Those issues, spiritual care for those issues, even though they are what we call first article issues, um, you know, having to do with the created order and the decline, the groaning in the created order that we're going through until until Jesus comes again.
0: It you've you've expressed this already to some degree the importance of teaching congregations lay leaders and and clergy church workers about issues surrounding mental health you're you're a presenter a speaker at the Speak Up Conference in Fort Wayne November eight uh, coming up in November and uh, why is it important to you to be a part of this to teach congregations to teach uh, church workers and uh, lay people as well about mental health issues and the church
1: yeah well it it is so important because again in in some cases some misguided Christians and what I tend to think of as kind of fundamentalistic Christians or fundamentalistic pastors have this misguided notion that if you just pray harder with somebody, if you just um you know tell them the right bible verse or whatever that their mental health issues will go away and while it is important to share scripture and to pray with people who are struggling with these issues they need to understand that there are first article dynamics. There are things going on in their brains, you know, the chemistry of their brain, the the neurochemistry of their brain may not work as well as it does for the rest of us, just like for some people, their hearts don't work as well. And so uh, having that kind of realization, they won't simplistically just say, well, I'm, I'm going to be the only counselor for you. Um, you know, if they've got a parishioner who has... ADHD, uh, hyperactivity disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you know, getting them to the right doctor, to the right psychiatrist that might be able to help them, their child, through this ADHD um, is just extremely important. And like I say, you know, no competent pastor would ever tell his parishioner Stop taking your insulin because you don 't really need it because you can just pray harder for your diabetes uh, you know some fundamentalists and some Christians uh, go that direction with mental health issues. I heard a tragic story actually at the last conference I was at about a a woman who went to a Christian counseling agency in Texas and was treated well over a three week um, outpatient day clinic that they had at this Meyer um, man, I'm gonna Meyer uh, hospitalization process. Mm-hmm. And then the person went back to their home congregation, which was actually in Israel. It was a, uh, a Christian congregation of uh, uh, Jewish Christians in Israel, and the pastor and the people there convinced that person who had gotten over a lot of her depression to go Off of her depression meds. So she believed her pastor and the people in that congregation. She went off her depression meds. She fell back into a deep depression and eventually took her own life. Mm. And after she took her own life, the people in that congregation and the pastor contacted the clinic that she had gone to in Texas and repented of their sin of telling her to go off of her meds uh, and that congregation now has completely changed his mind and does encourage people to go and use medication when appropriate. Um, now I do like to, uh, to, uh, I say balance that with I believe that we are an over medicated culture in the United States. That too many people go to their doctors and say, I'm feeling a little nervous, please give me a pill. And we over medicate people for a whole variety of things. I'd say we're probably giving two or three times as many of these, uh, drugs out as what we should. But that's a big picture. Uh, issue not an individual parishioner issue uh, usually. So, uh, um, having individual parishioners feel comfortable knowing that they should take their antidepressant or their anti-bipolar drug uh, just like they
0: would take a uh, insulin if they had diabetes the at at the coming uh, the upcoming speak up conference your presentation is when you hear hoofbeats proper distinctions between mental illness and spiritual oppression and possession mm-hmm. what uh, what is the uh, how do we know the difference between mental illness and spiritual Is there a difference, or are they one and the same?
1: Yeah, no, I think there's some very important differences, and you'll have to come to the conference to actually (laughs) hear me talk about it for an hour or so. um yeah, we do believe that there is that there is spiritual possession and oppression still in this world. The devil is active and he is out there attacking people. I do not believe and all the colleagues at the seminary that I've spoken with believe the same thing. We do not believe that a Christian who has been baptized can actually be possessed by a demon internally, but we do believe that there is spiritual oppression out there, and, and the spiritual world is becoming a little more open here, even in the United States. I used to say, well, and the, when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras, is the uh, old adage. In In North America, if you hear hoofbeats, it's not very often is it going to be a zebra. But if I was in Africa and I heard hoofbeats, I would think, hey, that might be a zebra. And well, the same thing, uh, a lot of African uh Pastors and missionaries report to us that they see a lot of spiritual oppression and possession among people who are largely spiritists and animists, and the devil doesn't mind showing himself in those situations, because uh, he knows he can scare people. I think in our North American culture, the devil tries to stay a little more hidden hmm. um, And that's why we don't see a lot of that, although we're seeing more of it. And again, you can't go to a movie theater without there being some sort of horror film about uh, spiritual demons or somebody attacking somebody in the the spirit world. Our culture is really obsessed with this idea. But in the presentation I want to make is just that while there is spiritual oppression, and obviously Jesus cast out demons, and the apostles cast out demons, there's not a lot of that that happened in the Bible. I mean, it was just kind of that New Testament generation that did the bulk of that. Um, we still see it in the church since the New Testament times, but we also see biblical texts about mental illness, and a lot of people don't remember those. They they start to think that, oh yeah, I... It, this mental illness is just, or the the spiritual oppression is masking itself as mental illness. Well, there's actually Deuteronomy 28, where Yahweh uh, tells the the people he will strike them down with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, uh, the Hebrew words shiga'on and timahom levav, if they um, disregard his word. Um the The Old Testament people, even at the time of of uh, Moses, understood madness and the other one that I really liked uh, there's several Bible verses about this but first uh, samuel twenty one David actually feigns fakes being insane when he 's in the philistine uh, king 's area because the Philistine kings come to him and want him to fight on their side against the Israelites. And David, while he's hiding from Saul, finds himself in this difficult situation where he doesn't want to fight against Saul actively with the Philistines because he's not Philistine either, but he doesn't want to get in trouble with the Philistines. So he actually fakes like he's crazy. And the Philistine king actually looks at the other generals and goes, "Do I lack madmen?" So it's again just some biblical evidence that David knew what insanity looked like. He knew what mental illness looked like. He maybe didn't have the he didn't have the DSM-5 uh, to properly diagnose it in the way we do in our culture here today, but he knew what. what what a mental illness looked like, and he was able to fake it in front of a Philistine king. So the Philistine king believed it, because uh, it was a common occurrence in, in Philistia, apparently, that lots of people had mental illness. Uh, the good news is now we have drugs and treatments for mental illness that they didn't have even 50 or 100 years ago that do help significantly people to have relatively normal lives Rather than the extremely troubled lives that they would have if they are flagrantly or or, uh, fluidly um, uh, schizophrenic or hallucinating or uh, having delusions and so forth, if they are floridly psychotic, then they um, they would have a horrible life experience. The drugs, for the most part, seventy or eighty percent of the time, do help people manage their lives. To be somewhat normal, fairly normal, um, as well as the, the professional counseling that they can get from Christians and others um, as they're struggling through their their lifetime. So, so yeah, there are ways to diagnose between mental illness and spiritual possession, and that's what I'm going to get into more in the uh, presentation itself.
0: Why is it important for us to distinguish the difference between the two, and then what step do we take from there when we distinguish between mental illness and spiritual possession? Why is it important to be able to distinguish between the two?
1: Well, yeah, kind of like I was uh, saying before, if it is a mental illness, then we want to make sure the person's getting the right treatment for it and the right drugs, the right sort of counseling and so forth. If it is spiritual oppression, spiritual possession, uh, then we need have to approach that from literally an exorcistic sort of process, see? calling out in the name of Jesus, calling out those demons, um, sending them away, which is in some ways a fairly straightforward thing to do in the name of Jesus. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Robert Bennett's book, Afraid, mm-hmm. which was published by CPH a few years ago. And I, I think Robert uh, does a, a good job, Pastor Bennett does a good job of kind of um, ferreting out the distinctions. And actually does say that, you know, a lot of what's going on here is mental illness in North America. But there is this other evidence of spiritual oppression and it's growing in our country. Uh, and I believe that, too. I've I've seen it. Um, I've visited New Orleans and seen how many people are uh, caught up in uh, the spiritist kind of religion down there, and that has spread throughout the United States. So uh, uh, we need to approach that from a spiritual perspective. And then there are some people that might be struggling with some of both, because just because somebody has a mental illness doesn't mean the devil says, oh, I'm not going to bother them anymore. I'm just going to let their mental illness Uh, He can torment people from two different directions, both from their physical health and from their spiritual health. And that may happen in some cases. And therefore, pastors and psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors all need to be working together in those sorts of situations.
0: What do you want us to to learn from your session? What do you want us to be equipped with when we walk away from your session at the Speak Up conference?
1: Well, um, primarily that the Bible does speak about both of those things. Um, It does speak about mental illness, and it does speak about spiritual oppression and possession, and that we can be involved in both worlds, should be involved in both worlds. Both worlds are important for us to provide spiritual care to people who are troubled either by their mental illness or by their uh, oppression by spirits or both. Um, and how to do that, again, as competently as, as we can in both arenas.
0: My guest today, the Rev. Dr. Rick Mars. He's Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Director of the Master of Divinity Program and uh, the Resident Alternate Route Programs at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis and presenting at the upcoming Speak Up Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana on the Church and Mental Health. Dr. Mars, thank you so much for being my guest today.
1: Thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure.
2: Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline.
1: This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, President of Life Issues Institute.
0: I've been in the pro-life movement for a long time, and in the early days, pro-abortion activists claimed we needed legal abortion to protect women. Illegal abortion they said was dangerous to women and claimed countless lives. Well, as more people become aware of the violent and brutal realities of abortion, pro-life laws are passing and legal abortion is living on borrowed time. Radical pro-abortion feminists know this and are showing their true colors. They aren't worried about illegal abortion after all. They've set up a website to tell women how to get illegal abortion pills to administer themselves which is highly dangerous. The quality of the pills is also in question. These feminists aren't worried about women. They just want to advocate their radical abortion agenda at any cost.
1: Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been.
0: listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Joining me by phone now, Dr. Stephen Saunders. He's the chairperson of Department of Psychology at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and also a presenter at, uh, at the upcoming Speak Up Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Saunders, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you with us today and glad to have you back on the, the program and uh, sharing about the upcoming Speak Up Conference. Tell us uh, uh, about your work at Marquette University in uh, and and. Uh, how that relates to mental illness and and mental health and what you'll be talking about at the Speak Up conference.
2: Yeah, happy happy to do that. Um, So I've been at Marquette for about 24 years now. For 18 of those years, I was the director of the clinical psychology program. Uh, This is a program that trains students to get their Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and they graduate and become practicing clinical psychologists for the most part, some go into academia, um, but most become practicing clinicians. So I've been involved in both uh, uh, treatments, because I am an active clinician as well, and the training of students with regard to mental illness and uh, the way that uh, I got involved with um, this particular uh, church-related effort is uh, you know, just the, the sort of the, the fact that mental illness is so very common and so very devastating. Um, research uh, has been done, you know, since the nineteen eighties, showing that about one in five persons at any particular time is experiencing uh, diagnosable mental illness and. You know if you think about you know those who don't quite meet criteria for a diagnosis, they're they're sad much of the time, but they don't meet the full criteria to to meet a diagnosis. You probably have another one in five persons on top of that. And then of course, there's family members who are affected by uh, a loved one with mental illness, whether it's schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, major depression. Panic disorder for kids. You have ADHD and, and autism and so forth. So, so what I what I tell pastors and other church workers and members of congregations is, there's a lot of people in our churches with mental illness, and uh, if if you don't know who they are, it's it's simply because they haven't told you. And you know part of that is maybe um some misunderstanding about what mental illness is, and you know the the kind of common American belief that mental illness is something to be ashamed of um which of course it's not um you know it's it's mental illness is actually very common but uh very very distressing, but it's also very, fortunately, it's very treatable. Um, but if people are ashamed of acknowledging that they have a mental illness or that a loved one has a mental illness, then, then that's going to interfere with their, uh, willingness perhaps to, to go get
0: appropriate treatment. Why is it important to you to, to teach congregations and clergy about uh, issues in mental health?
2: the there's a it's kind of a a two part answer um the the first and probably the most relevant issue is that um persons in churches christians lutherans um when they are in distress and the vast majority of mental illnesses cause distress when they are in distress about their own struggle with mental illness or about the struggle of a loved one with the mental illness it's very normal and it's very common for them to turn to their church to turn to their pastor or a deaconess or uh, other members of their church for comfort for consolation it's entirely natural it's entirely appropriate that they do that you know as I say to pastors of course they do you know you you baptized their child. You buried their mother. You married their daughter to her husband. You know. You, you know they 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 come every Sunday and and obtain God's word of forgiveness and grace from you. Of course, they're going to look to you when they are experiencing something that that is distressing and confusing. And um, so so be aware of that uh, that they might come to you and you know, back to my first point, some might not. You might have to reach out to them because they're ashamed. They think that, you know, some somehow they've done something wrong um, to deserve this mental illness and that you're going to be ashamed of them or that somehow God is mad at them. So so they're going to come to you or you might have to reach out to them to offer some spiritual consolation and comfort. But the second part is that, uh, again, as I referred to earlier, the the, tr- the, the the very great effectiveness of mental health care as provided by mental health professionals. So the second part is that you pastors and deaconesses and school teachers and principals and other church members need to be able to offer spiritual, gospel-based comfort, but also a very clear um Uh, directive to the person that you need to go talk to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker, someone who can help treat this illness because I'm not qualified to do it. This is what things, this is what pastors need to say. This is what teachers need to say. I can't do this. I recognize what you have. I'm not qualified to treat it, but fortunately there are a lot of people who are and I'd like you to you know, strongly consider going to see one of them while well, you continue to come to church and, you know, be comforted by His Word.
0: What will we be learning at the Speak Up conference in your presentation?
2: Um, much of what I just talked about. So the um, the, the presentation and, and a lot of what I just said is um, it was inspired by... Um, you know, the fact that in in my family I married into a family with a lot of pastors. Uh I have a lot of brothers in law who are pastors and they introduce me to other pastors and I'm very, um, you know, uh um, very kind of comfortable around them and they find out what I do and getting phone calls pretty regularly. Hey, I've got this Trishner, and this is going on and what do you think is happening and what's going on? And eventually it inspired me to write a book published by Northwestern Publishing House, which is uh, the Wisconsin Synod. Um, It's a two-volume set called A Christian Guide to Mental Illness, and it's to help people recognize when they're meeting with someone or someone is presenting with signs of a mental illness. And uh, uh, the second volume talks about how you... Talk to the person, how you condemn um, the, I'm going to be in particular talking about the theology of glory, uh, which is a, which is a Martin Luther term. He referred to theologians of glory in the Heidelberg disputation that the, you know, the sometimes we use the term prosperity preaching, which is the notion that if you have a mental illness, if you're depressed, it's because your strength uh, that your your faith is not strong enough. And that's just uh, that's prosperity preaching, that's that's just simply wrong. You know, first of all, our faith comes from God. We know that from the third article, it comes through the Holy Spirit. And to say someone's faith isn't strong enough is to, to decline that or deny that. And so, instead we recognize from the theology of the cross, which is the only way to properly understand any type of men, any type of illness, including mental illness, from the theology of the cross, we know that you know this sinful, broken world that people experience pain, and uh, we we want to refer these people. We want to we want to provide spiritual consolation. You know, God does love you. God knows your pain. God has not abandoned you, and you should go see a professional about that about, you know, to see if to see if uh, they can treat this cancer, to see if they can um, manage this diabetes, to see if they can help you with this particular mental illness. So the second volume of the of the book, um, which is coming out in about six months, will talk about how to approach people, how to anticipate that they might be feeling ashamed, how to talk to them and convince them that there is nothing wrong with your faith here, this is just something that that you are experiencing as part of the sinful world this is just this is part of the cross that you have to bear, whether your own mental illness or the mental illness of your child, whatever it is this is this is uh, part of our our sinful world um, and uh this is how you get into mental health care. Also covered a lot in the the book is, um, this is what the mental health system looks like. This is the difference between psychiatry and psychology and social work. Uh, This is the difference between inpatient care and outpatient care. You know they have medications, but there's also varieties of counseling, including individual counseling, couples counseling, potentially family counseling, and so forth. and And the book has a lot of advice on you know being aware of uh, mental health professionals who, even though they're licensed, they're not particularly good at what they do. And so, if you're a pastor and you want to refer to a mental health professional, for example. Uh, and you hear certain things um, from your parishioner, well, the mental professional says this, you know, um, as a pastor, you should say, you know what, I think that's probably not the best advice from what I know, from what I've read, so I think think you should consider, you know, trying to find a, a different mental health professional. And of course, a big concern of pastors is how to find a mental health professional that will be respectful of the Christian faith, then there's a lot of discussion, um, a lot of some some explicit advice about about how to do that. Um, it's probably more of a concern, you know, than in, than a reality. I think most mental health professionals are very appreciative and respectful of of uh, religious faith, but nonetheless, if the pastor is going to refer to someone. The pastor wants to know for sure that that person is going to be uh, respectful and even go, you know, even go so far as to say, you know, ask the mental health professional, if something's religious, if something about religious faith comes up, will you promise to send this person back to me because I'm that person in in my parishioner's life? And most mental health professionals will say, you bet I will. Yeah, because I don't, I won't touch that. We're going to talk about the illness you know, and, and, uh, you, you talk to them about their, about their religious faith.
0: Are there myths that we need to dispel that perhaps by coming together at this conference and, and learning together and, uh, sharing with one another, we might dispel those myths.
2: There's, there's many, many myths about mental illness. Um, and, uh, you know, they're they're sort of cultural. I mean they're 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 myths but they're widely endorsed. Um you know, I mean uh, Santa Claus is a fun story for kids, but you know, there's few adults that actually still believe in Santa Claus. Um but it's it's sort of a culturally based myth where maybe most kids growing up, you know, are taught some version of of, of that, but, uh, with regard to mental illness, there are widely believed myths that people continue to hold onto because they're never really properly, uh, debunked or attacked. One idea is that mental illness is a permanent thing. If you develop a mental illness, you'll always have the mental illness. You know, related is that at best you can just simply manage it. You, you never be able to recover from it. So again, it's, it's permanent. Whereas in contrast, you know, probably for half of all persons with mental illness are able to, uh, go into treatment and recover from it. Now some don't go into treatment and they recover from it, but treatment, um, is very effective in, in, um, making the problem go away, Um uh, Either quickly or at all, because some, if without treatment, won't get better. So, so one myth is that you know once mentally ill, always mentally ill. Another is that persons with mental illness are unpredictable, that they're dangerous, um, that uh, you know, at, at, uh, you know that they they it's someone that you should avoid. So these ideas lead to certain. Uh, discriminatory behaviors such as avoiding people, not wanting to hire persons with mental illness, not wanting to live next to persons with mental illness, and uh you know again the you know contrast that to the reality, which is that if there's you know one in five persons right now um, you know is experiencing a mental illness then the reality is that. Most persons with mental illness are able to go through their day um, without any problem whatsoever. They're experiencing a lot of pain um you know hopefully they're in treatment hopefully they're recovering from it um but uh they're not dangerous they're not unpredictable they're just they're just in misery and they could really use a a a warm smile and a friendly pat on the back and a and a shake of the hand and even more would would like the opportunity to be able to talk about what they're going through persons with cancer Persons with diabetes, they're, they're, there's no shame in in talking about how awful the treatment is that they're going through. But it's just not a conversation that we, as a society, um, have trained ourselves to have, which is an honest, open conversation about you know, it, it, mental illness. Is sometimes Depression itself has sometimes been called the the common cold of mental illness, meaning that it's so common that uh, you know it. it, it, it Again, you know people. Everyone knows someone with depression, and if they don't know who it is, it's because they haven't been told. So the, the the myths lead to the stigmatizing attitudes, which leads to embarrassment on the part of the person with mental illness, and they, as a result, they they tend to try to. Prevent others from knowing. They, they hide it. They don't, they don't openly discuss it. And so one of the other things at the conference that, that I'll be talking about is what churches can do with regard to reaching out to persons with mental illness to make sure that they know that they're known and, uh, that they, you know, that the church welcomes them just like we welcome any other person, um, you know, suffering pain, um, in this fallen world.
0: I think one of the things that we're most fearful of is how do we begin the conversation? How do we, where does the conversation begin with uh, either with a loved one or with someone who has experienced mental illness? How do we, with just about a minute left, how do we begin the conversation?
2: That's, a, that's such a great question and it's such a delicate issue, beginning a conversation. How do you approach someone I think that, you know, first of all, be open to the conversation. You know, I invite people to come and talk to you. You know, and uh, a simple thing that a pastor might do is when they have the prayers for the, of the church, you know, not, don't just say we pray for those with physical illness and medical needs. How about we pray for those with physical or mental illness or any other uh, medical or emotional need. And just simply saying that is going to... You know, is going to catch the attention of those in the pews that have a mental illness and have been wanting to talk but embarrassed to do it. So, probably starting the conversation, make you know, watch, make sure you don't say derogatory things, you know, nasty jokes about persons with mental illness, certain terms that we don't want to use, and instead to you know, recognize that this is very common and uh uh you know this is this is where you belong you know it's very common there's nothing to be ashamed of this is where you belong keep coming back and uh you're you know we can we can talk about this here in terms of approaching someone that takes a little more delicacy um and um but I think as long as you do it delicately you know, seeking permission to talk about something, expressing concern, I'm I'm, I'm concerned about you, I'm worried about you. Can we have a private conversation? I think it will go actually very well. Um, So that would be the quick
0: summary of that. Dr. Stephen Saunders, chairperson of the Department of Psychology, Marquette University, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, also presenter at the upcoming Speak Up conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana, November 8th. Dr. Saunders, thank you for being my guest today. You're very
2: welcome. Thank you. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in.
1: You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American coaches.
0: My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly He ended up in the emergency room and spent multiple nights in intensive care. Now he's on a whole bunch of medications. My tip to you is don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. October 31st,
1: 1517, a
0: moment in time that echoes
1: down through the centuries to us. Martin Luther touches off a Reformation that changed the way people thought about God, government, freedom, and their vocations. Pastor Gregory Seltz takes us to Wittenberg, Germany, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide
0: KFUO. listening to faith and family i'm andy bates today we're talking about the upcoming speak up conference taking place in fort wayne indiana november 8th our next guest deaconess kimberly Trombley. she's with bethesda lutheran community she's the vice president for religious life at bethesda and a regular guest here on faith and family deaconess kim welcome back to faith and family
3: well, thank you, Andy. It's good to be
0: back. Always a pleasure to have you with us today and learning more about this Speak Up conference and addressing uh, how we can learn more about mental health issues in the church. What does this mean for uh, the church and mental health today? And you'll be presenting at the conference. I'd like to learn more about what you'll be presenting. For our listeners not familiar with your work and with Bethesda Lutheran Communities, share with us uh, what Bethesda Lutheran Communities does and how you serve people.
3: Certainly. Bethesda is a wonderful organization that started over 100 years ago. We're an RSO of the LCMS. We minister with and to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We have homes and other services that we provide also. And our mission is to enhance the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities through services that share the good news of Jesus Christ.
0: And so your work in religious life, tell me about what that means in, uh, for, uh, for the people that you serve.
3: Certainly. We work with the individuals we support in our homes and other services. And so my team works with the people we support and helps them to be fully included and integrated into their congregation locally. And we also minister with our staff. And we also connect with congregations and engage with them um, to volunteer with us, to partner with us, and um, to be an inclusive community.
0: So the upcoming Speak Up conference, you're scheduled to present on including people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the life Mm -hmm. of the church what what will we learn? what What can we expect to gain? what What do we need to know um, that that you might be sharing with us so that we might be learning at the conference? What are we perhaps in the dark about, Kim?
3: Certainly. I think there are voices missing in our congregations, and um, those voices are folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, not only are we as church um, able to overcome the stigma, that um, the church needs to have a separate ministry or a separate program for a person with disabilities, but to really include that person into the life of the church. And not only does that person benefit from being included in the life of the church, but the church benefits tremendously um, because people with disabilities have gifts and talents that our Lord has given them, and um, and ways to share those gifts and, ta- and talents in authentic relationships within the church. So it's a mutual blessing, and that's something that um, we're passionate about at Bethesda is really helping folks to have those relationships and to see um, the need and the ministry that people with disabilities can also have within the church.
0: As we come together for the conference, what what can we gain, what can we learn? How can coming together for a conference... be beneficial. Why should we attend this conference? what What are you looking forward to most that you think we can gain from this conference?
3: I'm looking forward to the content. Um, there are many wonderful speakers and workshops that speak up, and um, being part of the advisory group that has been forming this um, conference together, it's exciting to see members of the church want to know more, more about how to minister with and to. Um, their brothers and sisters in Christ and how we as church can be more welcoming so that people are included and feel comfortable and so that they can receive our Lord's Word and sacraments in the congregation. It's really exciting to see that. And so the conference is going to be a wonderful way to bring folks together who want to know more and who are able to then take that information and want to speak up about that within their own congregation so that... There are voices out there to encourage people to come to church and also those within the church who are experiencing mental illness um, and experiencing disabilities to feel welcome and so that the church can grow and be healthy and to be in relationship with one another.
0: Why do you think we... um we don't hear those voices, or why don't we see um, as many individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the church? Or why are we perhaps um, not mindful of how they could be an important part of the life of the congregation or or intentionally in including them, involving them in the life of the congregation?
3: Well, I think, you know, um, I, I get this question a lot of, what is the best way for us to show that we're welcoming? Do we need to have a ramp? Do we need to make sure? And of course, ramps are wonderful, but there's a need for a social ramp, a ramp to help people have a relationship within the church. And that could mean that there are barriers to that relationship, and that barrier could be attitudinal. It could be that um, in the congregation, um, there is, um, it's, it's not um, intentional but it's also, well, we're not quite sure how to reach across the aisle and help this person when they might communicate differently than we do, or they might um, need to walk around during church, and we're not sure how to approach that person in a way um, that doesn't cause offense. And so what I would encourage folks to do is to take that risk and say hello um, if there's a boundary there and... um, And uncertainty and not knowing quite what to say, but to say, hi, I'm not really sure what to say, but my name is Kim, and what's your name, and to start that relationship and to start that moment. I think as church, um, sometimes we can, um, we are really great at fellowship, and there are times when we can grow in reaching out to those who might not know all of the traditions of our fellowship. So, helping folks to participate when someone comes into church and um, they might need help knowing how to follow the service to sit next to that person and help them through the hymnal or help them if there's a PowerPoint to know, oh, this is where you will be able to see the words for the song and helping them through the service.
0: How can we overcome stigma? Stigma is a word that that's come up in these conversations repeatedly regarding. Uh, disabilities and mental illness how can we overcome this stigma?
3: I think we can overcome this stigma by asking questions and by seeking to understand before assuming. So our strength as church especially when we meet someone who might be different um, than um, the folks that are in our family or who are um, in our church. When we meet someone who's new um, to really reach out to them. Um, in your mind, you might have a stereotype or, um, or a preconceived notion about that person. I would just encourage everyone to seek to understand first before saying, well, this person means this or this person does that. But before going to that place, seek to understand who that person is as a child of God. Um, because that's how our Lord sees each of us. He sees each of us uniquely, We're all fearfully and wonderfully made in His image. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, to really seek to understand that person so that we can be in relationship with them and um, to be a brother and sister in Christ. It's really that seeking to understand is going to break the stigma.
0: Do you have some stories that might be an example for us of uh, where you've seen the, this happened in a, in a congregation, in a ministry setting where the, the stigma has been overcome, where individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities have become a, a key part of congregational life.
3: Certainly. So uh, one example would be a congregation in mind where at first um, there was a person who attended and this person really liked to walk around the church. And that is how that person really processed their surroundings, is to walk around and to meet people. And the church was pretty quiet. It was a quiet setting. Um, And so there was the stigma that, well, this person has autism, this person um, has a disability. And um, for the care provider, um, for that direct support professional to really say, well, yes, but... Uh, This person really loves music and this person really loves um, to feel that music when they hear it and that's why they walk. Um, In our consulting meetings, we talk with folks in congregations that once you meet one person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability. It's the same if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Each person is unique. And as an individual in the sight of our Lord. So it's encouraging congregations to see that person for who they are. And then fast forward to the begin from the beginning of that relationship to where they are now, that person is fully included in the life of the church. Um, that person moves at the back. They have a space where, um, this person really likes to move and when the music is playing and this person has their place in the church, just like all the other members do, and the person fully participates in communion and, and serves and goes to Bible class and likes to move with the music um, that's happening there and at special events. So it's pretty cool to see how that congregation moved from not sure, um, perhaps, Experiencing, you know, stigma or preconceived notions, and then now fully accepting this person and how um, they're a part of the life of the church and a part of the fabric of the church too.
0: The conference coming up November eighth in Fort Wayne, Indiana. You get to to present, and we'll we'll learn more about uh, including people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. What are the key things you want us to walk away from from your presentation? Or what do you want us to walk away with, I mean?
3: (laughs) Well, you'll certainly walk away with a sample of our newest material with our wonderfully made pamphlet series. Um, You'll walk away with an adapting communication for success tool as well as adapting curriculum and welcoming a child with disabilities into your family. You'll walk away with those tools. During our time together, though, my hope is that we challenge some of those assumptions and some of those stigmas. And that we really talk about how do we become welcoming in every situation we encounter um, with a person with mental illness, who has an intellectual and developmental disabilities, or any person that's new in your church. Um, what's wonderful is when we're talking about ways to welcome a person with disabilities into the church, that transcends to people of all abilities. And with the welcoming nature that you learn when learning from a person with disabilities will so teach you also how to welcome folks who may be new to you as well.
0: Kim, how can we learn more about Bethesda Lutheran communities and the, the, the resources available there, how Bethesda might be uh, helpful in our congregation and in our community?
3: Certainly. You can go online to our website, um, you can see some of our love stories, which is Bethesda's Love.org, and um, you can also purchase our resources at Concordia Publishing House at cph.org, and you can always reach out to me um, and ask for a consultation in your local congregation at Kimberly.Trombly at MailBlc.org, um, and we'd be happy to help walk alongside each congregation
0: my guest today deaconess kimberly trombler she's the vice president for religious life at bethesda lutheran communities kim thanks so much for being my guest and god's blessings on your presentation at the upcoming speak up conference thanks
3: so much and
0: you. you've been listening
1: to faith and family produced by worldwide kfuo the official broadcast ministry of the lutheran church missouri senate your support is vital for this program to continue To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO.